0: You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Psalm
1: 46. Looking forward to getting into this song with you tonight, and I'm praying God will use it to be an encouragement to your heart. We've been talking about the presence of God, and we'll continue on that tonight and look at another aspect of God's presence. I'm glad God is always present. There's never a time when He's not on time. He's always there. He's always in the vicinity. God doesn't have to leave anywhere to get anywhere. He's never late. He's always present. But then there are certain ways God will manifest His presence, and we talked about that last week, the stolen presence of God, how the ark of God was taken, but really Israel forfeited God's presence long before they lost the ark. And we said, what a warning that is to us. We don't want to lose God's presence in this place. And I don't mean the fact that God exists, but I'm talking about the hand of God and the blessings of God poured out upon the church uh, that we meet at. Tonight, I want us to think about a different form or a different look at God's presence. And the word is succoring, or succoring S-U-C-C-O-R in your Bible or O-U-R in your King James Bible. And that word means to help or to aid or to assist or to comfort, to provide. Psalm 46 is a great psalm. When I preach on Wednesdays, I have many days to kind of live in the text that we're going to be dealing with on Wednesday. I don't prepare for the message really far in advance because I don't want to forget or get over what I prepare, but I I read it far in advance. And it's funny, I don't know if you'll get what I'm saying, but I almost hate to preach the message because I hate to have to leave the chapter. Because I've been in the chapter every day for a week, and there's so much in the chapter to pull out. And I'm praying God will use it to be a help to us tonight. Look at Psalm 46. It's good to have Jonathan Bosmy back. I thought I better recognize him. He asked specifically that we did and we didn't, Jonathan. So we're glad you're here. Came all the way from India, but not really Illinois, right, to be with us tonight. I'm glad you're back. Psalm 46, verse number 1, look what it says. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea? Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. When you hear that or see that word, what it means is take a minute to think over what you just read. Consider it for a second. Verse 4, There is a river that the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved He uttered His voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations He hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease. By the way, God can do things no leader and no legislation can ever do. He maketh wars to cease unto the ends of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spirit in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God i will be exalted among the heathen i will be exalted in the earth the lord of hosts is with us the god of jacob is our refuge see law if you look in verse number one we'll find our text for the message we'll go throughout the entire psalm but look what the bible said in verse number one god is our refuge and strength but watch this a very present help in trouble every passage you read you need to think about the application There's usually a primary application, sometimes a prophetic application, and then always you can make a personal application. The primary application, I believe, is this is written in a time when Jerusalem was under siege and was in threat of falling to an enemy, and God delivered them. The prophetic application, there's a lot of things pertaining to the tribulation in this verse, and the second coming of the Lord. But the personal application is this, anytime you and I are in trouble... God is in the trouble with you. I'm glad you don't have to call him to come running to your side. I'm glad he's already by your side. And for a little while tonight, let's think on that thought, God's succouring presence. Pray with me. Lord, I pray for your help to preach tonight. I pray for liberty to preach. It sure has been good to be in church this evening and to sing. And God, to enjoy the testimony just in song and then the smiles on faces and the good spirit here. I pray now that you'd help us to feed on your word, that you provide for us exactly what we need to make it through the rest of this week. Lord, we believe Wednesday is just something that catapults us into Sunday. So I pray tonight you'd give us what we need to get through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then walk into Sunday on topside. Thank you for our church family. Move now, I pray, in a peculiar way. And we'll give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Psalms is a book of praise. It's a book of worship. It's a book of comfort. As you read the inspired songs that are written down in the book of Psalms, these songs come from the heart and pen of God's people. And as you read it, it ought to fill your own heart with solace and encouragement and reason to rejoice in God. The first psalmist, they believe, was Moses. And if that's the case, then the book of Psalms spans 11 centuries. And all throughout those years and years, God's people are continually praising God simply for who He is. The book of Psalms gives light in dark times. They provide for us comfort in the midst of distress. They move the heart to praise the Lord when life would provide you with no reason or cause for praise. The opening of the book of Psalms starts with a great word. The first word of the book of Psalms is the word blessed. And if you want to be reminded of just how blessed you are, you got to go back and reread the book of Psalms. It's amazing if you think about it how God put the book of Psalms right in the middle of your Bible. There is something about singing that doesn't just bless the heart of the singer, but I believe also our singing blesses the heart of God. God's people have always been singing people. In Psalm 40 and verse 3, the Bible said, "...and he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord." In Psalm 137, it's a time when God's people have been taken captive. But even their captors understood God's people are singing people, and they requested and said, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And I can always tell when somebody's not right with God is when they don't have a song. Now, you don't have to be a singer, but you ought to have a song. If you're saved, you ought to have something to praise the Lord about. You ought to have a song on your lips and a song springing up from your heart. Tonight, I want to draw our attention to a song in the Bible that is a song of consolation from the book of Psalms. Martin Luther was a Catholic monk until one day he studied the Bible. It's amazing what studying the Bible would do for bad theology. Uh, As he studied through the book of Romans, he learned that justification is not by works, but justification is by faith alone, and that Catholic monk got born again. You already know this, but Martin Luther became the catalyst of what is called the Reformation. In 1517, he took his 95 theses and nailed them to the door of a monastery in Wittenberg, Germany. Luther and others who followed him became known as Protestants. What that means is they were protesting the Roman Catholic Church. Now, let me stop and say, as Baptists, we are not Protestants. We never had to come out of the Catholic Church. We were never in the Catholic Church. But you study the Reformation and you find something interesting. A key component to the Reformation was a revival of congregational singing. Many times Christians would gather together and they didn't necessarily have a hymn book like we'd have tonight, but what they would do is they would sing the Psalms and worship God. Martin Luther's favorite psalm was Psalm 46. In fact, he referred to it as my psalm. In days of discouragement, he would sing Psalm 46. His friends and other Christians of his day were facing imprisonment and torture, and some were losing their life for their faith. They would sing that hymn, uh, uh, Psalm 46. Sometimes uh, Luther would be overwhelmed as he'd open his home, and those who had the bubonic plague that ravaged Europe in those days would make their way to his home as a makeshift hospital. And when he felt overwhelmed, he'd open his Bible and he'd go to Psalm 46. And in those days of despair, in those days of darkness, when he needed help from heaven, the preacher found the help that he needed in Psalm 46. He loved Psalm 46 so much that it inspired him to write a hymn. And the hymn became known as the theme song of the Reformation. Now, you might not have known this when we sang it. We sang it not long ago here at our church, but the hymn title is A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. Just like Psalm 46, it's a song that praises God for his power, his protection, and his presence to help his people when trouble comes. You study the Reformation. Exiled Christians would sing A Mighty Fortress Is Our God as they were led away from their homes. Pastors would be banished and as they were being banished they'd walk out of town and sing a mighty fortress is our God Martyrs were being killed for their faith and as they were being burned at the stake and thrown into rivers and sawn asunder They would sing the verses of Luther's hymn mighty fortress is our God It was sung in the streets and it was sung in homes and it was sung in meeting houses Today, if you go to Wittenberg, Germany and go to the All Saints Church and look in the graveyard, you can find Luther's tomb. And at the base of his tomb, it has the first line of that hymn of the faith, A mighty fortress is our God. And here's what it says A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. In 1534, there was a man named Miles Coverdale. Coverdale translated an English version of the Bible that preceded our King James Bible. It was a forerunner, if you will, to the King James Bible. But he also translated a mighty fortress is our God into the English language. Now, his translation is not the one that we sing from our hymnal. That was Thomas Carlyle, a different man. But one of the verses says this Our God is a defense and tower, a good armor and a good weapon. He hath been our help and our secure in all the troubles that we have been in. Tonight, I want us to think about God's presence. And I want us to think about it in this aspect, God's securing presence. That word secure means to aid, I said. It means to help. It means to care. It means to support. So when we talk about God's presence in this fashion, we're saying God is present to help his people. God is present to aid his people. God is present to support his people. Sometimes we would sing the song back home. It's sort of a country bluegrassy type song. It's a Christian song. But anyway, it says, just hold on a little longer. Help is on the way. You ever heard that song before? That's a pretty good song, and it's all right to sing it, but it's just not biblical. You and I don't have to hold on a little longer. In fact, we don't have to hold on at all because our help is never on the way. Our help is always in the vicinity. Our help is ever-present. Psalm 46 is, I'm about to feel like preaching, Psalm 46 is a song of victory. If you were to summarize the psalm, you could summarize it by saying this, God is powerful, God is present, and God is ready to help us when we need his help. This psalm describes an undisclosed time. I don't know historically exactly when this took place. Some commentators and commentators only know what commentators know and they all copy off each other. But anyway, what commentators say is this happened during the reign of Hezekiah when Sennacherib the Assyrian tried to invade Jerusalem. I don't know if that's true or not and it really doesn't matter. The truth is this. This is written during a time when there was great danger, great distress and things were fixing to fall apart. If you read these verses, it says the scene of a city that is surrounded by a great wall but that city is about to fall to an enemy army The song speaks about trouble. It speaks about an unsettledness. It speaks about things that were sure and steadfast, falling apart and tumbling to the ground. You can see it in your mind. You have to see it. See that walled city. Inside of that city are families and homes and businesses and merchants. There are people going about their life. They're surrounded by walls. Those walls are tall. Those walls are thick. Those walls are made of heavy heap of stone. And within those walls, walls, they had often felt secure. But now, as they climb and look out those walls, they look past the sentries, they look past the archers, they look past their armaments, and they see an enemy army as vast as the sea surrounding the walls of the city. Can you imagine how distressing that would be and how unsettling that would be to live inside of those walls? Every day, every moment, every move that you make, There's that daunting reality that there are soldiers, there are chariots, and there are spears on the other side of the wall, and they're about to attack. All you can do is wait. You just sit there, and you wait for the moment, and you wait for the day when the enemy advances and tries to breach the wall. But I said a minute ago, this is a song of victory, and that's because it is. And I can tell it's a song of victory because of the first word of the song. The word starts at the right place to find victory. The the song starts with the word God. And let me say in passing, God is the starting point for victory. Whether it's victory in your prayer life, or victory in your personal life, or victory in your marriage, or victory in whatever aspect, God is always the starting point. It is no wonder to me that this became a a building block for the Reformation and an encouragement for those preachers when you're Read the text of Psalm 46. Now, I wish it wasn't so, but the truth of it is, there will be days in my life and in yours when you're just in trouble. And I'm not talking about in trouble with your spouse, and I'm not talking about in trouble at work, and I'm not talking about in trouble with the government, and I hope that never happens to you. But anyway, I'm talking about trouble that is over your head. I'm talking about you're waiting in it, you're trying to tread that trouble, but your feet cannot touch bottom, and you need more than a handout, and you need more than than an attaboy, and you need more than a phone call. You need divine deliverance from that trouble. Our life is guaranteed by the Bible to be full of trouble. The Bible tells us that. You might turn off a number of calendar days. It might be 20 years, 30 years, 100 years. But every other day or so, you're going to have trouble. Mark those days on your calendar. Maybe it's you tonight. Maybe it was you yesterday. Maybe it'll be you next week. But one of these days, you'll go through trouble. Now, you already know this if you've been through it. Isn't it true that some things that you can depend upon when it's not days of trouble, you cannot depend upon when you're in trouble? Some things that you could count on and lean on and they were faithful in the good times, you can't really trust them in the bad times. Hospital rooms get kind of lonely in trouble. The funeral service can feel a little solitary during trouble. Family problems can cause you to feel a little isolated. When you're in trouble, financial trouble can lead you to feel kind of abandoned. And some of those people and some of those things that you thought would be there and they were there in the good days, they won't be there in the bad days. They were there on the high point. They were there on the mountaintop. They were there in the sunshine. But whenever trouble comes, the crowd that is available to help kind of thins out. And even if they hang around, they might not be able to do for you what you need them to do for you. What I mean by that is their comfort is not enough. Their words are not sufficient. Their support is inadequate. Their understanding is not enough to comprehend the situation. Well, here's where the people are inside of this walled city in Psalm 46. They needed more than a promise that help was on the way. They needed more than a promise that they'd find help in the future. They needed more than a quick reaction force. They needed immediate deliverance. They needed a very present help. If you read about it in verse two and three, you find out how drastic it is. Look at what your Bible says, this poetic language. He said, the, the, just skip out that first line. Get down to though. It says, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters are of roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. You talk about devastation. That's what those two verses are describing. The Bible's talking about being in the midst of something that is over your head and totally overwhelming. It says here the earth is removed. That means that which you're used to, that which is stable, is taken out of the way. The mountains are cast. That which you thought would never fall seems to fall down around you. The seas are roaring. That's all that nervousness and anxiety. All the noise of your dilemma. It says at the end of verse 3, the mountains are shaking. There is no settledness in this thing. Can you imagine these people? They thought those walls would protect them they felt pretty safe behind the stones that surrounded their city they thought it would be their stronghold in the day of trouble but when that kind of trouble came those walls were not sufficient those walls were not enough those walls did not make them feel safe it just was not adequate in the time of trouble now I said this is a song of consolation if the psalm started with verse two you probably wouldn't read any further because it's depressing enough to get through verse 2 and then enter into verse number 3. But I'm glad our Bible is not just thrown together haphazardly. I believe every verse of Scripture is placed providentially, pinned by inspiration on purpose right where God wants it. Not rocket science that verse 1 ought to go before verse number 2. And so God gave us verse number one at the beginning of the psalm, and I think it's to remind us this. You're gonna walk into verse two and three, but before you ever walk into verse two and three, you better get verse number one nailed down deep in your soul, and here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, hey, listen, you can take this to the bank. You're gonna go through trouble, but listen, God is our refuge and strength of very present help in trouble. That's enough to make a Baptist shout on a Wednesday night. Isn't that a blessing? Yeah, you got the promise of trouble, but you got the promise that God God is in the trouble. If you look at that word God, it's the Hebrew word Elohim. It's that plurality, one God, three persons. It also adds an intensity to the name of God. He's exceedingly almighty. He is altogether almighty. He is everything almighty. He's saying you're going to go through trouble, but you've got the God of gods, the God who's above all, the God that's in all, the God who's king of kings and Lord of lords to go with you in your trouble. I like what it says God, and then it says is. That's the perpetuity of that God. He doesn't change. He doesn't alter. The Bible word is he is immutable. He's the same that he ever was. He's the same that he was yesterday. He'll be the same tomorrow. He's not deluded. He's not diminished. He's all God all the time. He's the Lord and he changes not. Circumstances might change. The situation might change, but there's one thing that stays the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. God is. Then it says God is our Isn't that good? You say, what's that mean? That means it's a personal thing. He is mine and I am his. He's for me and I'm for him. I'm glad I'm on team Jehovah tonight. Amen. I'm glad he's my God. That's why Job said, I know my redeemer liveth. That's why David said he's my shepherd and I shall not want. That's why Thomas said he's my Lord and he's my God. Then it said, God is our refuge. What's that mean? That means he's our hiding place, but not just our hiding place. He's our high hiding place. He's above the noise. He's above the fray. He's above the pain. He's above the problem. He's over it all. He's our fortress. He encapsulates us. He encloses us. He protects us. He shields us. He hedges us in. The eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Shelter safe in the arms of our God. Isn't that a blessing? That's better than any bunker. More secure than any safe space. More fortified than any fortress. More armed than any arsenal. We are hid in Christ in God. He is our refuge in sorrow. He is our refuge in that pain. He is our refuge in uncertainty. He's our refuge when life is turned upside down. When all others forsake, put me in the cleft of the rock. I'm glad Moses stood. He had the rock beneath him. He had the rock above him. He had the rock behind him and in front was the hand of God and that's that's where you and I are tonight. We're safe in our refuge. Oh, yeah. Amen. But then it says he's not just our refuge, he's our strength. That means he's our sustenance for another step. He's our energy for another swing. He's our courage for another stand. He's our guide for another storm. He supplies, and what he supplies is always sufficient. Grace when we need it, comfort when we need it, love when we need it. We can draw from his well. We can take from his storehouse. We can be led by his hand, and God will never disappoint you in what he provides. That's encouragement for troubled time right there. That's enough just right there. But it's one thing to hear you've got strength and refuge somewhere. And it's one thing to hear that you have a God somewhere. And it's one thing to hear that God is somewhere. But I'll say this, refuge and strength across the country does not help me. Power that's a day away does not help me. Love and compassion that can get to me in about an hour or so doesn't do me much good. I don't need a God who's on call. I need a God who's on sight. (laughs) Amen. I guess I do preach like a black preacher in a way. Get to the piano, Caleb. Anyway, they they say the average response time for 911 is about 18 to 22 minutes. that means tonight if you get in some kind of accident or something, God forbid, happens at your home and you have to call 911, you're going to be sitting there with that anxiety waiting on help to come 18 to 22 minutes on the average. Now that's okay. I'm not dogging them. They do their best and it's not an easy task and depending on how far you are, I understand how that can average in 18 to 22 minutes. But can I say, I need something better than that. That's fairly fast, but that's not nearly fast enough. I need more than emergency care. I need some immediate care and that's where verse number one, the last phrase in that verse steps into our life. You see what it says? It said, God is our refuge and strength, but here's the thing that adds the force to it. He's a very present help in trouble. I said tonight, a lot of things will run when trouble comes. A lot of people can't be found when trouble comes. A lot of things you could lean on aren't there to be leaned on when the trouble comes, but there's one promise tonight for the child of God. There's one word you can trust in. There is one shoulder you can lean on. There is one hand that will still be there to uphold you. When trouble comes, God is very present in the time of need. That means God is there to succor. He's there to aid. He's there to support. He is there to help. He's a bulwark, never failing. That's why verse number two starts with a therefore. I had a college girl teach me this. She deep theologian. She said, when you find therefore, you look back and see what it's there for. Now, I figure she stole that like we all do, all of us preachers. But anyway, she taught me that. So I looked back and saw what it's there for. Now, if you'd read verse number two and just start there, therefore, will and not I fear? What are you talking about, buttercup? I mean, how are you not going to fear? The earth is being removed. The mountains are falling apart. The seas are being uh, roaring all around you. And yet this psalmist said, I'm not going to fear. Why? Because he already had verse number one. And verse number one reminded him, hey, it doesn't matter who's on the outside of your walls. It's about who's on the inside of your walls. It doesn't Matter what's blowing? It doesn't matter what's roaring, it doesn't matter how many's in that enemy army. It's about who's on the inside. So let the thunder roll, let the lightning flash, let the billows come crashing in. If God be for us, who can be against us? And here it is inside the walls. There's Jehovah God twice in the psalm. It says, The God, the Lord of hosts, is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And they looked out and said, We can outnumber them and we might be outmatched, but we and God make a majority. And a As long as God is in here with us, we have what we need. We have our help. God is present. They couldn't call for help, but they didn't have to call for help. They couldn't run and get help, but they didn't have to run and get help. Help was already there. A ship has to sail for harbor in a storm, but we don't. A soldier has to call for backup in battle, but we don't. A sojourner has to travel many miles to see a friendly face, but we don't. I like what it said. It says a very present help. You know what that means? Extremely present. Expe- More than the nose on your face. Expediently present. Totally present. Completely present. That means I don't have to send a search party out saying, where do you reckon God's at? I don't have to call long distance and try to get a hold of him. I don't have to send an escort to help him make his way to me. He's there. Always there. When others forsake, he's present. When others can't be found, he's present. When others forget He is present. when others fail me, He is present, He is a very present help. That means God gets proactively involved in helping me and you when we get in trouble. Faster than the light emanates from the, from the, uh, from the, the, the light bulb, when you flip the switch, God is there to help His people. You study the Bible and you find God's been tried and true and all tried and found true throughout the scripture. He never has forsaken. He's never orphaned a child. He's never left. He's never stepped over one who's fallen. He's always been there to help. Couldn't you testify of that tonight, that in your darkest moments you found God was there? Job lost a lot of things, but there's one thing the devil couldn't take from Job, and that was the grace of God in his life to help him get through his trouble. What good would God be if he said, cast your care upon me, but he wasn't close enough to catch it? What good would God be if he said, call unto me and I'll answer thee, but he wasn't close enough to hear your cry? What good would a God be if he said, lean not on your own understanding, but he wasn't close enough to uphold you when you didn't understand? What good would a God be who said, look unto me and be his saved"? but he wasn't close enough to see? What good would a God be that said, hey, listen, you can reach, I can be touched with the feeling of your infirmities, but you reach out and he's not close enough to touch him. I said, Job found God was there. Same thing through the scripture. I won't belabor it, but David found God was there. Daniel found God was there. Abraham found God was there. In fire, famine, and flood, God was there to help his people. He's close enough to dry tears. He's close enough to see travail. He's close enough to hear groanings. He's close enough to shield from danger. I don't have time to preach it, but let me just give it to you. You learn about God's character in verse number one. In verse number one, it says he's a very present help. It teaches me about God's character. What I mean by that, it teaches me that God is punctual. This is not the message, but a sure sign of bad character is not being punctual. We always used to say, be five minutes early. That way you have time to fix a problem and still be on time. Can I say God is always on time? Number two, it teaches me about God's consistency. Verse two and three is enough to shake anybody, but it didn't convince God not to be God. He remained God through those upheaving circumstances. Thirdly, it teaches me about God's care, verse four and through seven. Isn't it amazing how on the outside the seas are roaring, but on the inside there is a smooth, rolling river. And that river on the inside in the midst of all the madness is causing gladness for those people inside that city. When you got saved, God put a river of life inside of you. You have the Spirit of God and the Scriptures of God, and there's a river God's care He provides. And then I learned about verse 8 and 9, God's confirmation. If you look at verse 8 and 9, He says, Go out to the battlefield and just look at what I can do. Hey, just stand there and survey what I've already taken care of in your life. I brought you through that. I took care of this. I met your need then. Don't you think I can do it again? That's one thing. That's not, he'll do it again for you. I'm glad he'll do it again. But this is the thing. Then there's God's contingency. In verse 10, that phrase, it's famous, you know it. Be still. When I was Before I got saved, I was a lifeguard. And uh, when they would teach us, training to be in lifeguard training. And then I actually had the real experience whenever we were watching the the pool. When when you do this training, people who are drowning tend to go crazy when you get to them to try to help them. They have this, I, I guess it's just that natural, innate response to survive. And it doesn't matter how in shape you are, doesn't matter how good of a swimmer you are, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. When somebody is fighting for their life, they're going to kill you to try to keep themselves from dying. And we were taught that when we were trained, but then got to experience it. I thought I was going to die that day. Went up to somebody who was drowning in the swimming pool, just not, not that old, probably 13 or something, and, and went to rescue this guy from the swimming pool. And, man, I thought I was going to drown. He would not hold still. He tried to grab and fight, and I said, just stop, stop, try to get behind him, you know, and get him out of the pool. And I got away from him and had to go back to the side of the pool, and he was bobbing up, and then we shouted, he said, you've got to quit fighting if you want us to help you. And thankfully, he did. I think he just got worn out, and then we were able to get him to the side. But that's sort of what I see when I read that verse, because a lot of times when we get in trouble, our help comes, and then we start flailing, And we try to make it work or make it work faster than it's going to... We try to hurry it up or we try to help God help us. So here's what he's saying. All these promises are yours if you'll just drop your arms. If you'll just lay down, give up on it, understand you're not sufficient. He said, man, I want to help you. We've talked about God's presence. Maybe you're there, maybe you're not, but you will be if you're not. There'll be a day when you're in trouble... And it won't be trouble with somebody. I'm talking about just your life. It'll be troublesome. But you've got a promise that God is present to help you. But the contingency is this. If you don't want to go under, you've got to be still. That literally said, just drop your arms. Quit fighting and let God work it out. I'm going to close. Couldn't you testify of those days whenever you stood at the bedside of a loved one passing away and you could feel the embrace of God there? Haven't you been in those crossroads of life and had to make a decision, worried, to death, and then all of a sudden the sweet presence of God came in that place? That's Psalm 46. Tonight, if you're at that point in your life, you ought to come pray and say, Lord, help me to be still tonight. Help me to put my arms down, and I'll trust you with it to help me.